Welcome to the Liquid Church Podcast, a place where you can hear the timeless truth of God's Word in a way that's culturally relevant and cutting edge. Today, you're tuning in for our series, The Daniel Dilemma. In this series, you're going to meet a young man named Daniel who did something remarkable. He learned to stand firm in his faith and love others well despite living in a culture of compromise. Together, we'll learn how to walk closely with God without caving to pressure or alienating those we hope to reach. It's our hope this message will help you discover how God's story relates to your own and that you will leave feeling encouraged. Thanks for joining us today and enjoy the message. All right, what's up Liquid Church? How y'all doing? Look at online, all of our campuses, what's up? Man, it is so good to be hanging with you guys today. Uh, if you're new, my name is Nathan. I'm one of the pastors here. And listen, we are in the midst of an incredible group series called The Daniel Dilemma. We're actually looking at the life of a man named Daniel who's able to hold this dynamic tension between standing firm in his faith but also loving well without compromise. And so in this five-week series, we're like smack right in the middle of it. We've been learning as a community how do we live in this tension between showing grace but also standing in truth. And your pastor Tim talked about how this is a very real tension that we're all living in. How do we live in that tension between standing firm, but also loving well with great passion? You know, Pastor Tim talked last week about how we can stand firm. He had a phenomenal message called Faith Under Fire. It's the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who refused to bow down to worship a golden idol. And so they were thrown into this blazing furnace for actually defying the king's orders. In fact, they declared, hey, listen, No one saves us. That's okay. We're still going to worship God. That's where our hearts are at. We are standing firm with conviction. And we learned that when they were thrown in that furnace, it wasn't just the three of them that were there. There was a fourth man, and that was Jesus. And we learned that when you stand for Jesus, he stands next to you. So when you take a stand, you're not alone. Jesus is with you. Well, today I want to look at the other side of this. How do we love well in a culture of compromise, where we can live out of empathy and compassion with integrity. Because here's the deal. Loving well, that's kind of like our thing if we're Christians. You know what I'm saying? Like that's like our primary way the world knows that our message is real. And these aren't my words. Like I didn't come up with this. Jesus came up with this. In fact, let's take a look at what Jesus says here. In fact, why don't we read this all together in one loud voice. It says this. There, bring it up. There we go. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you debate one another. Sorry, I'm reading the wrong translation. If you insult one another on Facebook, unfriend or on, no, 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 no. It says if you love one another. Let's all say this together. Love one another. Type it in the chat. Love one another. The signature virtue of Christ's followers is we are called to exhibit love. It's supposed to set us apart from the rest of the world. In fact, Christians are to be famous for loving well for our kindness, our compassion, our empathy, caring for the poor, for championing causes of justice. That's what we're supposed to be famous for. But sadly, it hasn't been the case, has it? Maybe you saw this recently, a video that's gone viral of a pastor making crude and insulting remarks about women. has been going around the internet. You know, the church eventually fired him. But here's the worst part. When you watch that video, his congregation is actually laughing. They're enabling his dysfunction. It's really, really disgusting. Making people say, oh, yeah, they'll know they're Christians by their love. No, no, we we know if they're Christians by their sexism. Oh, that hurts. And listen, we don't need to go far to find Christians behaving badly, do we? Everything from the capital insurrection to the sex scandals all throughout the church. These are terrible things. They're corruptions of biblical Christianity. And this is why we actually no longer have any influence in the culture. Our credibility is wrecked. 
And guys, I want to tell you something. The stakes have never been higher. See, this balance here between grace and truth, this balance right here represents relationships that are hanging the balance. There are coworkers who think, yeah, it's interesting that you go to church, but yeah, it's not for me. It's a relationship that hangs in the balance. There's a son or a daughter. Maybe they've come home from college and they're learning all these things and they have these ideas that contradict scripture and they're pushing back at you. They're pushing back on the things that they see at church. It's a relationship that is hanging in the balance. Or think about your atheist or agnostic neighbor who they're antagonizing Christians on Facebook. They mock our faith. Their relationship, your relationship with them is hanging in the balance. And guys, we are losing influence because we are not known for what we are for. We are known for what we are against. And because of that, we're getting tuned out. Because we've no longer been living in this tension on the art of how do we love well and stand firm. Well, I've got good news. We actually have a model for how to do that. Daniel is our model. He's going to show us how we can love well, but also stand up for truth. Because I'm all about making Christians loving again. Amen. Who's with me? Who wants to make Christians loving again? Can I get an amen? Can you type an amen in the chat? Maybe right now, there's someone that comes to mind. There's a relationship that you have of someone who is kind of hanging in this balance. Maybe it's your son or your daughter. Maybe it's your boss your employees, a business partner, someone that you know at school. But you know that they're taking steps further away from God. And you have the opportunity to actually impact their relationship. And I want you to think about them right now. Let their face kind of like, as we're kind of talking about this, let their face kind of be the one that you see as we're having this conversation. Because guys, I want us to walk and love well. I want this to be the mark that we're known for. We stand for truth and conviction, absolutely. But people know us because of our love. Daniel's going to show us how to do this. So if you have a Bible or you have our app, go ahead and turn to Daniel chapter 6. It's, we're going to be looking at the first five verses. And as you head over there, let me give you a little bit of background and context, uh, kind of what's going on. You guys remember Pastor Tim, you know, kicked off the series the past two weeks. We've been talking about this guy named King Nebuchadnezzar. He's the king of Babylon, this massive empire. They come in and they conquer God's people. They, they pull them out of the promised land and put them in Babylon to brainwash. So that's how we find Daniel here. Well, here's what's interesting. We've moved on several years from that time. And now another empire has come and swept and destroyed the Babylonian empire. And that is the Persians, the Medes and the Persians from modern day Iran. So Nebuchadnezzar, gone. And in his place, a new ruler. His name's Darius. Check out this picture of Darius, as you can see. For some reason, the Babylonian beard game is on point. Like, he's got the, the right beard oil. It's like, it's like I, I envy that. <laughs> but, but here's the thing. What we see is that as Darius is coming in, he's cleaning house. He's getting rid of all of the old leadership, all of the old administration, except for Daniel. He keeps him because he sees there's, there's something about this guy. In fact, here's what it says, starting in verse 1. It says that Darius the Mede decided to divide the kingdom into 120 provinces, and he appointed a high officer to rule over each province. So let's pause right there for a second. Think of these provinces like states, right? So you've got a governor that kind of oversees each one of the states, makes sure everything is functioning the way it's supposed to. And Daniel is one of those governors. But look at this. Here's what it says. Here it says, the king also chose Daniel and two other as administrators to supervise the governors and protect the king's interests. So Daniel isn't just one of these governors. He's a governor of governors. He's kind of overseeing the whole thing. Then it says, Daniel soon proved himself more capable 
than all the other administrators and high officers. Because of Daniel's great ability, the king made plans to place him over the entire empire. Then the other administrators and the governors began searching for some fault in the way Daniel was handling government affairs. But they couldn't find anything to criticize or condemn. He was faithful, always responsible, and completely trustworthy. So they concluded our only chance of finding grounds for accusing Daniel will be in connection with the rules of his religion. So let's break this down a little bit. Daniel is now in a new government, a new administration. There's a new culture, new kind of political kind of, um, you know, thing that's happening there. And Daniel's got to navigate all that. But here's what's cool. He doesn't just navigate it. He is thriving. He is thriving in the new Babylon. And his reputation is stellar. And he's known as a person of excellence. As someone who really cares about people. He's someone who is loving well. Not just in sentimentality, but in, in how he treats people. And it's actually led him to receive a position of influence. Remember, the king also chose Daniel and two others as administrators to supervise the governors and protect the king's interests. So Daniel has done such a great job that Darius actually finds him trustworthy. So he actually puts him in charge of all the governors. In fact, he's been doing such a great job. He's getting more and more. And it's finally, here's what he says. He gets a promotion. It says, Daniel soon proved himself more capable than all the other administrators and high officers. Because of Daniel's great ability, the king made plans to place him over the entire empire. So the king's like, yo, Daniel, you are doing such a great job. You are killing it, bro. In fact, check this out. You're getting a promotion. You are going to be in charge of running the day-to-day operations in Babylon and all of Persia. Congratulations. But you know, Daniel's direct reports and his colleagues didn't really like that. So they're going around trying to dig up dirt. They're trying to find stuff that they could hold against Daniel. But they couldn't find anything. So finally, they realized, okay, we probably have to make some stuff up. So they thought, our only chance of finding grounds for accusing Daniel will be in connection with the rules of his religion. In other words, basically, Daniel, you got to get with the program. Your religion comes second. Babylon comes first. You know, you all heard of freedom of religion. This ain't freedom of religion. It's freedom from religion. We don't want it here, and we don't want you here, Daniel. We want to push you out of the public space completely. But here's the thing. Daniel's faith actually had a positive impact on his job performance. In fact, because of his devotion to God, it led him to love others well. And that loving of others well opened up opportunities where he was able to serve. Look what it says in verse 2. It says, The king also chose Daniel and two others, as administrators to supervise the high officers and protect the king's interests. So whose interest was Daniel protecting? Come on, everybody. Whose interest? It's the king's interest. Yes! Daniel's devotion to God meant that he's not thinking just about himself. He's actually set to look out for others' interests. That's how Daniel was leading with love. Daniel used his position and his role to bless the king. To serve the administration, even if it was this pagan, godless empire, Daniel's like, God, you brought me here. I'm going to serve here. I am going to shine the light of God in the dark, this dark, dark place. And as Daniel looked out for the king's interest to help the kingdom grow, it says that Daniel soon proved himself more capable, not less capable, but more capable than all the other administrators and high officers. Because of Daniel's great ability, the king made plans to place him over the entire empire. So because Daniel was looking out for the interests of the king, God gave him more because he was able to prove himself 
trustworthy. If you want to lead with love and love well, prove yourself trustworthy. It's unfortunate, but I think sometimes Christians are seen as the last people you'd ever want to trust. Maybe we can be seen as cynical or we can be seen as judgmental or condemning. Or maybe you've had this happen where someone shared something in a prayer meeting. And you're like, that doesn't sound like a prayer request. That sounds like gossip hidden behind prayer. But, but Daniel led with love. Daniel was able to prove himself trustworthy. And so he was actually given more. And this wasn't just Daniel having the right skills. In fact, that word for ability, it's the word ruah. Say ruah. 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 Type it in the chat too. In fact, in the King James translation, ruah means spirit. And Daniel had a spirit of excellence. That's what it says in the King James Version. And the English word for excel literally means from God. So Daniel had a spirit from God that was, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And this enabled him to love not just in sentimentality or being able to say, oh, I love you, you're so wonderful. He actually was able to serve and love with with, with great empathy and courage. And Daniel's reputation, this reputation of love and kindness was actually met with resistance out of jealousy by his colleagues and his direct reports. Many of them were probably super unhappy that this foreigner, this Judean, was in charge of them. And they're looking for dirt so they can get rid of him, so they can take his spot. But then verse 5 says this, Finally, these men said, We will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, (laughs) unless it has something to do with the law of God. See, they understood that Daniel was able to have success because he's living in the tension that God is calling all of us to live in. The balance between God's law with God's love. Daniel faithfully served Babylon and worked for the city to succeed. He wanted the city to succeed, to flourish. But doing this was how he showed God's love to others. He would never compromise God's law. He would never compromise God's way. Never compromise God's way. Never compromised. And through this, this tension of living in this balance, he was able to have influence. And if I could be honest with you, I struggle living in this tension. Because sometimes I'll land more on this side, where I want to stand for my faith and push back on everybody, or, or maybe want to love too much and kind of let things go. And this really comes out whenever I'm with some close family members. I have some family members, they're not believers. In fact, they're very hostile to faith. And when we're together for, for different things like holidays, it can get really intimidating vitriolic, anger, and hostility. And it brings out some of that in me because I think, well, I got I to defend God. I got to fight back. Or, or I just kind of avoid. Maybe I'll see them less and less. But you see, Daniel was living in one of the darkest empires in the entire human history. And he chose to love well and to be a light in a dark, dark place. So guys, this challenges me to intentionally connect with the very people that I may <laughs> want to distance myself from. In fact, you know, I started saying, all right, I need to make a phone call every week to to talk to some of these folks, to check in with them, to love them. Even though they still mock faith and they're still hostile, I want to look for opportunities where I can bless them, I can encourage them, and I I can love them. Because I also know that when things get hard and they're backed into a corner, I want them to know that, you know, they can love me. They can be be trusted. I can be trusted. I'm trustworthy. So I can influence them. See, it's really hard to live in this tension, balancing God's love and God's law. But if we can do this well, if we learn to do this, we can have a huge impact, not just in our families, in our neighborhoods, but I think we could even change the culture and we could make Christians loving again. Amen?
So I want to show you four practical steps that we learned from Daniel on how we can do this. How do we live? How do we balance grace and truth? Balance God's love and God's law. And the first is this. Win hearts, not arguments. Now, what do you mean by winning hearts, not arguments? Like, it's not a card game. But arguments, you know, is something that, you know, I win and you lose. Instead, we want to lean on influence the way Daniel did. In fact, you know, Daniel had this situation when he was working under King Nebuchadnezzar. And King Nebuchadnezzar was crazy, okay? He's like, he's like a tyrant. He's a dictator. And so one day he has this dream and it disturbs him. So he, he gathers all his advisors and he's like, guys, I had this really crazy dream and I, I really don't know what it means. And they said, well, well, King, why don't you tell us your dream and we can interpret it? And he's like, nah, you tell me what my dream is. Uh, what? <laughs> what? What do you mean? No, you tell me, you guys are my advisors. You tell me what the dream is and then you interpret it. But if you can't do it, I'm going to kill y'all. How'd you like working for him? Right? Harsh. So, so literally, as the executioner is sharpening his axe, he's going to the advisors, getting ready to put them to death. Daniel meets him. And it says this in Daniel 2.14. Daniel spoke to him with wisdom and tact. Here's my question. Y'all know what tact is? Turn to your neighbor and say tact. It's kind of a weird word, right? Go ahead, say tact. Tact. It's not like, you know, it's not like thumbtacks. But tact is actually defined as sensitivity in dealing with difficult situations. Daniel had tact. This sensitivity. In fact, he was able to talk with this one guy, then talk to the king, and he was able to hold off the execution. But not only did he have tact, he also had wisdom. And wisdom is defined as knowledge plus scars. See, wisdom comes when you say or do the wrong things, but you actually learn from your mistakes. You grow through them. Do you remember when I asked you about that person that you should be thinking about? The person who's coming to mind? You need wisdom and tact when you interact with them. We, we all need it. We need wisdom and tact when we're interacting with our atheist coworkers who maybe love to push our buttons when they see some of your Christian stuff on your desk. We need wisdom and tact when God blesses you with an LGBTQ couple that are living as your neighbors and God wants you to share love with them. You need wisdom and tact when you interact with your right-wing uncle or your super progressive niece and both of whom are pushing your buttons and pulling you all these different directions. But we need to ask God to give us wisdom and tact to live in the balance between God's love and God's law. Amen. And I think sometimes, amen, hallelujah. <laughs> and sometimes the best way to love well is when someone super divisive is actually pushing our buttons and triggering us. But that's when we can invite the Holy Spirit to actually come and, and help us not to react. In fact, let me tell you about this one couple that I think is doing this really, really well. Um, they have this daughter, and I actually went to youth group with her, you know, years ago. And, you know, she's, you know, in her, she, she kind of walked away from faith in her 20s because she was kind of done with it. And, you know, her parents, you know, love Jesus, and they, 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 they are praying for their daughter, want her to come to Christ. But, you know, the past couple of months, you know, with all the kind of craziness happening, you know, her parents were posting some things on Facebook, and she got super, super hostile. She was pushing back. She was texting them. And it was getting really, really kind of nasty. And they were telling me, you know, Pastor Nathan, you know, we're people of the book. We're people of truth. We, we were getting ready to go to battle. So, so we had the Bible verses all lined up. We had all of the, you know, articles that we've been reading. We were all set to go to battle. And then right when we we're about to post something new on Facebook, right when we we're about to send new emails to kind of get this information out there, the Holy Spirit stopped us in our tracks. And he said, she already knows all that. 
you, you raised her in the church. She, she knows the word of God. She knows all of it, but it's not penetrating her heart. And then the Holy Spirit asked us this question. Do you want to win the argument or do you want to win her heart? In that moment, we took down all those Facebook posts that had gotten our daughter triggered. We, 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 we just deleted the email because we decided we wanted to win our daughter's heart. Because we knew if we could win her heart, we could also win the hearts of our grandkids. We're playing the long game for that. Win hearts, not arguments. Because arguments are limited. It makes you feel good in that moment, but it's not going to get you to where you eventually want to go. And listen, if you're a Christian parent and your adult children have walked away from God right now, can I just, just tell you, parent to parent, I'm so sorry for what you're going through right now. I can't imagine the pain of watching your kids that you've raised in the church to know and to love God and then walk away. You know, I'm a dad and my kids are, are, are little and you know, I still have a lot of influence over them now. And my number one goal, not, not as a pastor, but as, just as a dad, is for my kids to grow up to love Jesus so that Jesus is meaningful for them like he's been for me. And I can't imagine what it would be like for them to grow up and to not have that. I can't imagine how painful that is. And if that's you right now, if you're, if you're watching this, I just want to let you know that I am praying for you specifically that God would give you wisdom and that God would give you tact as you engage because you cannot antagonize and influence at the same time. That's why we need wisdom. We need tact to know which battles to fight, which is number two, pick your battles. Do you guys uh, notice last week, you know, Pastor Tim was talking about, you know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego or Rack, Shack, and Benny, if you're a VeggieTales aficionado get thrown into the fiery furnace. And here's what I thought was an interesting detail. Pastor Tim and I were talking about this. It's a tiny detail, but it was really insightful. It says this, they tied them up and threw them into the furnace, fully dressed in their pants, turbans, robes, and other garments. Guys, you realize this? They were wearing Babylonian bling. In other words, Daniel and his friends, they assimilated, but it was, it was only in some aspects of the Babylonian Persian culture. They had Babylon on the outside, but they had the Holy Spirit on the inside. They, they had blended into the culture to build bridges, but they didn't cave in their convictions. They still stayed strong on God's law, but they also balanced it with God's love. And I think this is really challenging, especially if you have teenagers. Because with teenagers, they want to fight about everything, Right? Maybe, you know, maybe they want to fight about how long their hair is or what piercings they want or maybe dressing too sexy or getting tattoos. Their clothes are too saggy. Their clothes are too tight. And listen, parents, you got to pick your battles, right? Do you really want to die on this hill? And listen, I get it. There are some battles that you need to fight. There are some stands you need to make because, you know, in our house, modesty is a value. We don't want our kids to, be, to grow up being sexualized or anything like that. But you got to pick the battles you want to fight. Because there's some battles that don't matter. And ultimately, I think the battle all of us want to fight is the battle for the heart. And I was talking to um, one of my mentors, you know, about this very thing. Like, how do you fight for someone's heart? And he was telling me that when he was in high school, he was, he got really big into the party scene. He was smoking pot. He was drinking. He was out partying all hours of the night. 
And every time he came home, his parents, man, they brought down the truth hammer on him. They yelled at him. They screamed at him. They threw Bible verses at him. But it just made him party harder, party more. And then one night, he came home. It was particularly late. He, was, he smelled like weed. He was, you know, completely trashed. And he's fumbling for, his, for the keys to open up the door. And finally, when he gets to the door, the door opens automatically. And his dad's standing right there, like literally right in his face. And he was expecting the hammer to fall because he, he looked in his dad's eyes and he saw the anger and the, fra- the rage and the frustration, but also this, this, this deep sadness and, and disappointment. And he said, you know, my dad did something I never expected him to do. My dad grabbed me. He held me. And he said, son, I'm so happy you're safe. I love you so much, but this is not who you are. And my mentor told me that in that moment, his dad won the battle for his heart. Now, he didn't stop partying right away, but it changed even how he partied. And, you know, when he told me that story, it reminded me of this incredible painting by Rembrandt called The Return of the Prodigal Son. I love this painting. In fact, let's leave this up here for a second. Take a look at this painting. In this painting, you see the father who represents God. And here's his son, his prodigal son. And you see, he's got a shaved head. He's disheveled. He's only got one shoe. You know, he's been living with with, with pigs. And literally, the father just embraces him with open arms. He's been living a lifestyle where he's completely disagreed with his son. And this is where he ended up. And you see the compassion on the father's face and the relief in the son's. See, what I felt was so interesting was this father had wisdom and he had tact. He knew when to let his son go. He said, listen, I know you need to go and walk away. You can go, you can blow up your life, you have that freedom, but I just want you to know that when you're ready to come home, my arms are open wide. You're welcome at home anytime. Amen. Give God a praise. Give God a praise in the chat. Our father, his arms are open wide to receive us home. Wisdom intact. It's knowing what to do and what to say and how to say it. His dad was able to make a deep connection. How many of us are fighting the wrong battles? You're trying to fight the battle for truth or to correct behavior, but it's a heart issue. You have to connect before you correct. And listen, if you try to fight every single battle with your teenager, they'll eventually just tune you out and you'll lose the war. Because here's the next step. You need to earn the next conversation. You know, Daniel was able to have so much influence because he earned the right to have the next conversations with some of the most powerful people in the empire. He earned the next conversation because he was able to give deference and respect to rulers, whether it was Nebuchadnezzar or the one that came after him and even Darius. In fact, the way Daniel would refer to Darius was long live the king. Like literally, he'd say long live the king, Darius. That's how he would, you know, approach him. This was actually a respectful tone in that culture. It enabled Daniel to have another conversation that enabled him to have more influence in the kingdom, where he could actually live out the convictions, his convictions and love well at the same time. Because Daniel was living from a place where he had wisdom and he had tact in all these different situations. If you want to earn the right for the next conversation to love well, we have to start asking God to give us tact and wisdom and keep that in mind. It reminds me, of uh, something that a friend of mine's learning. You know, he's a buddy of mine and he's a little bit older than me and, you know, he's, he's kind of raised his kids. They're all adults now and he's a Christ follower. He raised his kids to love God, to go to church. Uh, they were homeschooled for a time, so they were kind of a little sheltered. 
And then a couple years ago, one of his kids approached him and his wife and came out to them and said, I'm a lesbian. Now, him and his wife held biblical views of marriage that Jesus expresses in Matthew 19. And as his daughter is kind of sharing her heart, he's struggling in this balance because he, he, he feels conviction about the truth. So in that moment, he made a choice. He said, I'm going to love my daughter. I'm going to choose to listen to her. And what he said to me was, I told her I loved her. I told her I'm proud of her. And I just embraced her. He said, I'm your dad, and you'll always have a home here. And then he earned the right for the next conversation. See, over time, they started building bridges. They started having some conversations. They started having conversations about truth and grace and, and love and convictions and all these things, what the Bible says. But they also felt this, like, specter over them because the homeschool community that they were a part of was actually waiting for him to come down on her, to set her straight, to, to lay down the law. But he said, no, 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 I'm, I'm just going to keep loving her because I'm never going to regret not loving my daughter. You know, loving well sometimes means you tune out the voices in your own echo chamber. And then the day came where she brought home her fiance. And it was hard, he said. But in that moment, we embraced her and said, welcome to the family. Because he made a choice. He chose to love his daughter, to choose her interests above any and everyone else. Because he said, I am never going to regret loving my kid. He said, you know what, we might have lost some friends over this, but I didn't care because my daughter's heart was more important than anything else because it earned me the next conversation. I kept choosing to love her. I kept choosing to show empathy, understanding, even though we don't agree. Hey, we, we don't agree on this, but that's okay because we can still love each other and not agree. We, we can still love each other and see things differently because that's what Christian love does. It, it's not conditional. It never cuts anyone off. It engages. Because remember, when you're in these situations, when you're in the balance between God's law and God's love, how you act is more important than what you say. Because at the end of the day, people want to know that you love them. And talk is cheap. But if you demonstrate loving well through sacrifice, compassion, empathy, listening, it moves hearts. It changes lives. And guys, we can balance God's law and God's love. We don't have to choose between the two. That's a false dichotomy the world gives us, which brings us to the fourth and final step. Play the long game to love well. Play the long game to love well. Do you guys, I don't know if you know this, but do you know how long Daniel served in Babylon? Was it, was it five years? It was more than five years. Ten years? Twenty? Guys, he served in Babylon for 80 years. He earned the right to have lots of conversations. He started a conversation with King Nebuchadnezzar, which earned him the right to have a conversation with the next ruler, which gave him the right to have the conversation with Darius, which eventually led him to have the conversation with King Cyrus. Guys, how many administrations was that that Daniel served under? Four. Four kings, four dictators. Guys, you don't last that long in the shark tank of Babylon without wisdom and without tact. Daniel's like the Dr. Fauci of the ancient world. Dr. Fauci served under six presidents. It's like, man, you can't do that unless you have wisdom intact. And in each one of these administrations, Daniel was promoted to the highest levels of leadership because Daniel knew how to build bridges. And Daniel actually was able to see one of the greatest miracles of his lifetime. You guys remember, 
that when Daniel started out this journey with Nebuchadnezzar, he was actually ripped out of his homeland and taken to Babylon. Well, now Cyrus was in power. And Cyrus was this pagan king, but he had a heart that was open to God. And at the age of 90 years old, Daniel saw his people go back to Jerusalem to rebuild and restore what was broken down. Daniel played the long game, didn't he? Daniel played the long game and chose to love, to sacrifice, to care for, and have compassion, but he never compromised his convictions. Amen? See, he was prepared for the long haul. Remember, the stakes are high. The stakes are high. Can I ask, will your pagan coworkers ever read the Bible? Maybe, maybe not. But you know who they will read? You. Literally, you may be the only Bible that some people will read. So what gospel is your life preaching? Can I just, as, as a pastor, say this? My dream for you is for your friends, your family members, your neighbors, when they watch the news or, or maybe they have a bad experience with a Christian behaving badly, my heart would be that they would say, man, those people in the news, they're crazy. But, you know, my friend Steve's not like that. He's a Christian and he's got convictions. Like, I mean, he really loves the God. He believes the Bible. But man, he really cares for his employees. You know, he's always coming over and asking how he can help and looking how he can go the, the, the extra mile. And I know that if something bad happens or if things get difficult, I can reach out to him. When my life starts to fall apart, I know that he's available. Now, I know some of you, you have family members that openly mock your faith. They think you're crazy. But God is saying to you, Play the long game to love well. They may mock you now, but if you love them well, you'll be the first person to reach out to you in times of crisis. Y'all know that. When things are falling apart, they're going to come to you because you are embodying the tension between grace and truth. You are living in the balance between God's love and God's law. Just like your Savior did. Jesus was also one who was filled with grace and truth, who had wisdom and tact. If you're ever wondering, man, how do I get wisdom? Like, here's how you do it. James tells us. He says, if any of you lacks wisdom, ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and he'll be given to you. See, wisdom intact. It's what God wants to give us so that we can love well in our world today. Remember, Jesus loved well. In fact, this is what blows my mind. While we were still sinners, while we were still enemies from God, he pursued you. When you were far from him and you wanted nothing to do with him, he pursued you. He died for you. He enabled you to have access to eternity because he took the initiative. Guys, I know that in this message, God's been bringing people to your mind right now. The, the folks that you have attention with right now. Some folks that you disagree with. Maybe some folks that are openly hostile. They're mocking your faith. But God wants you to take a step of faith and move into one of these four steps. Maybe you need to win hearts and not arguments. You've been fighting for truth, but God's saying, I want you to fight for some hearts now. You've been fighting every battle and you're exhausted and they're exhausted. Maybe you need to pick a different battle. You need to fight the battle for the heart. Maybe you need to earn the next conversation. Maybe you need to speak with a little bit more tact and sensitivity. Or maybe finally you need to remember to play the long game. You don't need to preach at every single person you meet or every time your kids come over to preach at them because God's at work in them. All you need to do is move with tact and wisdom. 
fact, here's what I want to do. As, as your family members or coworkers come to mind, I want to pray for you. But first, or I want to pray for you, then I want you to pray for them. Because I believe now more than ever, God wants to change the perception of how Christians are viewed in the world. That we'd be known by our love, we'd be known by our compassion, and we'd be known by our mercy. So here's what it wants to do. Why don't you go ahead and hold your hands out. This one's going to symbolize wisdom. This one's going to symbolize tact. And I want to pray for you. I want to pray that God would give you a fresh filling of his spirit, that he would overwhelm you with the spirit of wisdom and tact, just like he did Daniel, so that you would have what it takes to love even the most difficult people to love. So Spirit of God, would you come right now? Our hands are open. We want all that you have for us, God. Would you give us wisdom? Your word says, if we don't have wisdom to ask, so we're asking, God. We need wisdom to live in this balance between your love and your law. But also, God, give us tact. God, I confess that I like being right. (laughs) I like telling people what I think. And sometimes tact means I need to shut up. I need to just listen to you and not react and and love through silence. And so, Father, would you show us when we need to speak and when we need to to be quiet? When we need to to lean into awkward situations or maybe pull out a little bit. But God, we choose to trust in you. Would you give us what we need? Let us be like Daniel with wisdom intact so that we can influence a generation of those who will love you and seek you with all their hearts, souls, minds and strengths. In Jesus' mighty and awesome name we pray. Amen. Amen. Can we give God a praise? Give God a praise, church. Thank you for joining us today. If you want to check out Liquid Church for a weekend service, small group outreach, or clean water trip, you can find out more about us online at liquidchurch.com. And if you enjoyed the podcast, go ahead and subscribe or share it with your friends. Thanks again for listening.